Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 114 of the Benzo Free Podcast. How are you doing today? So glad to have you listening to our podcast today, and I'm really, as always, I'm really happy to have this opportunity to talk with you. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are struggling in very difficult times, and I get that, and I always want to mention that at the beginning of the podcast, that I haven't forgotten what some of you are going through, because I know it's um, benzo withdrawal, benzodiazepine dependence, severe anxiety, whatever it is you're dealing with or the combination of it, like so many of us, it can be so overwhelming. So, so anyway, today's introduction is going to be pretty short, um, because I had a wonderful conversation with David Powers of Powers Benzo Coaching. Uh, I had this a little over a week ago and we recorded it. And it was two hours long, and I can't edit it down because I think it has some pretty good content in it. And so I decided to make it a two-parter, like I often do with some of our conversations. So today is part one. Um, episode 115 will be part two. And it's about an hour each time. So there's a lot of content here, so I'm not going to talk too much before I dive right in. A couple things I do want to mention. Um, first of all, of course, this is a completely different conversation than the one I had on his podcast. So these are two separate. I had a two-hour conversation on his podcast that he posted a few weeks ago. This is a brand new one, new content, new topics, everything. So please check out both of them, um, just so you know. And also, I am getting ready next week. I'll be heading off to the RX and Illicit Drug Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. I'll be speaking there on the 11th on benzodiazepines, bind, all that good stuff, patient experience with benzos. Really looking forward to that opportunity. I'll be presenting down there with Dr. Christy Huff, my colleague. Um, she's, of course, medical director at BIC. And um, we were going to be presenting with Dr. Alexis Ritvo, but due to family complications, she's unable to attend. So it'll be Dr. Huff and myself that'll be present presenting that one. But just looking forward to the conference overall. This is a great audience for us to reach. This is an audience that are often more focused on opioids and fentanyl and all the other issues that are going on with prescription drugs and illicit drugs. But that may not know much about the benzodiazepine world or um, at all. And as, as far as I can tell from the agenda, we are the only ones presenting benzodiazepines at this conference. And I want to thank the conference for inviting us to speak, um, that they consider this a problem enough that they wanted us to come down and do this presentation. So that is amazing. We're really excited about that and um, looking forward to that. Plus, on the back end, there will be a vacation. Um so once that conference wraps up, my wife's flying in and we're taking a week, week and a half off, kind of going up through Blue Ridge Parkway, up into Pennsylvania, um, on through Ohio, where we have some family. I need to go up there and say hi to some of our family members up there. 
and then we'll head home um, back to Colorado. So that's what's going on for me. Like I said, I'm keeping this short. I know there's plenty of other things to talk about, and there will be, and maybe I'll just pop out a short one. One of the things I thought about doing on this upcoming road trip is to record something live as I'm doing it, like I've done in the past. I recorded road trips, but maybe something a little different where I'm tempted to record something and just post every night. Um, so you're on the trip with me, and we can talk about all different topics. We can talk about being on the road. We can talk about benzos. We can talk about anxiety. We can talk about, you know, whatever it is, life, love, worry, craziness, you know, whatever it is that comes up, we can chat about it, um, as I often do on those road trips and the struggles I might be facing on the road, especially as they relate to benzodiazepines. So, but um, maybe you can join me on the road. I think that'd be kind of cool. Uh, format today is all just the interview, the conversation with David Powers of Powers Benjo Coaching. So, um, so we'll dive right into that here in a second. But before, I do want to cover, of course, a few administrative things like I always do. Don't forget to check us out on our different channels. This has changed a little bit, so <laughs> I've updated my admin piece of my introduction. So um, you can you can listen in and see how this is different than before. But you can find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram via our new handle, at EasingANX. That's at EasingANX. Or even better, visit us on our new website at EasingAnxiety.com which is our home base. You can find all of our content there. You can search for any subject, log in and set up your own personal profile, subscribe to our mailing list and comment on our nearly 300 posts. So that is our home base. Just come to go to easinganxiety.com and you can learn more about us. And remember, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. First off, I do want to remind everyone that this is part one of a two-part conversation. So remember to check out the second part when this one is done, and I'll put a link to that in our show notes. Our guest today is David Powers of Powers Benzo Coaching, and let me tell you just a bit about him before we dive into the conversation. Coach Powers is a clinical psychology PhD candidate who uses CBT, DBT, and mindfulness training to help individuals recover from benzodiazepine dependence. He is author of the Powers Manual Benzo Recovery Guide, available in paperback on Amazon, and he also has a few free PDF downloads available on his website. Powers himself made a full recovery after a 10-year high dose of diazepam. He is also a talented graphic artist and filmmaker and uses all of his skills in his approach to benzo recovery, including a feature film written and directed by him titled Lake of Fire, which is currently in production. Now, Let's join the conversation. In fact, let's dive in a bit early as David and I, two old filmmakers by trade, talk a bit of shop for a few minutes. Maybe you might enjoy it. If you want to skip this part, no worries. We always have our complete chapter list in our show notes. Feel free to skip over if you want. If not, join us for this intro. But don't worry, we'll soon be moving into the topic of benzodiazepines. Now, let's join the conversation already in progress yeah, I, I think it's fun until the point where um you get like them nitpicking everything exactly you know? and yeah. then you go, come no. on man and we had like i remember one guy we had three meetings and i was so thorough because i'd already been through this and i said so this is what you want and then and then this will happen I'm, I'm, i give him like the whole like 12 beat layout and everything you know and he's like yes yes then I write the thing, I give it to him, and he, I, I, I would like this to happen. I'm like, dude, this is not what we talked about. We yeah, had three meetings. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I was like, I'd write it again. He goes, well, I don't like that. 
and then I, I finally had to say to him, like, sir, do you have any background in writing? No, I'm just a director. I said, okay. <laughs> right. You hired me because you thought I was a good writer. Exactly. Trust me yeah, on let, this, Let know? people do their skills. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, yeah. When I was teaching, it was always fun because so many people came to me, and it was always it was always time after time. As soon as you told somebody you were a screenwriter, they would always come to you, I got this perfect idea for a story. I know. I, I could see you laughing. It's yeah. like, yeah, how many times? And it's always this concept. And I always try to say them. It's like, look, the art and the skill is not in the idea. It's in the execution. It's yeah. actually turning that into a valid screenplay storyline and then right. working with people who can turn it into a film. That's it's, what you got to do. It's the, we, Ideas are a dime a dozen, man. They're everywhere. The ideas and anything, how can you turn that into a story? And they never, yeah. it always took a while for them to get that concept, you know. I, I so. stop people now. I try to stop them, especially if they're not yeah. a writer. Because first off, I don't want to be influenced. Secondly, yeah. if I happen to have a story exactly. that's similar, then you say, Dave stole my story. I know. And uh, I know. even if it's just an idea, it's like, a, you know, a guy and takes his son fishing. It's like, okay, yeah. now I can't do that at any exactly. level. Yeah, that's why I stopped reading, you know, papers, the letters that came into me. I stopped reading them because you're right. Yeah. You're exposed to them. You leave them unopened. Yep. And you, you can know. get someone to come back and try to sue you. So we we shot a couple of weeks ago and then we we broke early and we went to lunch. I usually take everybody to lunch and give them food and everything. Yeah. And we walked into this this kind of outside, I don't know what you would call it. It's kind of a Zen, a garden place. And immediately this guy comes up and he goes, you to me and the actor, the actor, granted, he he looked very distinct. He had a very distinct look, long hair. He looked like Julian Sands from the from Warlock. You know, okay. he had this Warlock look to him. And <laughs> uh, and the guy goes, wait, what are you guys, in a band or something? What do you do? And just immediately, I don't know who the guy is, a gardener or something. He yeah. just walks up, starts questioning me. And we go, Oh, my friend, my, my actor goes, oh, yeah, we're, we're shooting a movie, you know, a little indie film, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, look, I've got an idea for you. Yeah. And he pitches me this idea, and I'm just of sitting course. there like, I, I want, he's going on for like 10 minutes, man. So I'm so hungry. I just want to choke him. I like, and it's so easy. I go, listen, this movie's been made, sir. Yeah. He goes, oh, yeah. I go, where's yeah, the I used to teach pitching at some of the conferences, you know, the art of pitching. Because we would have all these producers come to the conferences and we'd set those up. And then all the writers come in to pitch their ideas and you were trying to teach it. And it's it's just so hard to get them down to an actual five minute pitch. You, you start know? with a log line. I go, yeah, tell me your story. Give exactly. me a log line. Yep. And I get to decide if I want to go further. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, know? you know, everybody believes their idea is the greatest idea ever out there. But plus, you just don't know where the hell you're starting, right? Because they don't exactly. come up to you and go, oh, I got a great comedy. It's a father and son. They don't, they don't give you no reference. They just start telling yeah. you, just give me a log line. Dad, son, dad, fish, something happens. Funny. Yeah. Got it. Now I know what I'm getting into, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's funny. Come. You know, I don't I don't miss a lot of it. I mean, I miss parts of it. I miss things we did. You know, I was on, I was on the Vail Advisory um, Board for the Vail Film Festival for 10 years, and that was a fun gathering every year, you know, to get together with those guys and get together with, brought in some different VIPs and all kinds of stuff. And, yeah. you know, we had all kinds of people come through there and that was kind of nice to be part of that experience, but still it's very Hollywood and that wears mm -hmm. on you as you know, over time. And I don't yeah. miss that aspect of it anymore, but oh well. Indeed. Good conversation, man. I know we we yeah. can talk film all day long, but since yes, we sir. are actually benzo people now, maybe we should yes. move on to on different the topics. Hat. I want to welcome you to the Benzo Free Podcast, David. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having and, me. Man. And I might even leave that first part in. I might just have this intro about us talking about film for a little bit of give everybody yeah, a little break. Yeah, at least for a few minutes or something. Yeah, it'll be kind of cool. 
Um, yeah, on this one, usually what we do, I know I spoke on yours not too long ago, and that was a delight. I think we just had a great conversation. It was so nice yeah. just to chat with you. Um, the same thing here. I got some notes, to, questions to ask you about what you do and what you're doing with your site and your coaching and your books and your films and everything. So we're going to hit up all those things. Um, just want to catch up and see what's going on. But I always like to start on my podcast with your story. You know, you have your own personal right. experience, and maybe you can just kind of sum that up in a few minutes for people listening about what you've been through and what brought you to also coaching and how that all happened. Yeah. So try to give you the the the, the quick synopsis. Of, I'll give you the log line. Guy took Ben's logo. <laughs> Perfect. Guy guy re, repairs life after devastating Benzo dependence. Withdrawal. That sums it up. Yep. Yep. That's my log line. I like okay, it. So the story goes, uh no, I actually got in a uh a car accident one day. Um mm -hmm. one of many I've been in actually, and uh injured my neck and was having a bad neck spasm and ended up going to a bunch of doctors and uh, you know, they were, went to a chiropractor for a year. He messed me up worse. Uh -huh. and was trying everything they were giving me anti-inflammatories and pain meds and you name it you know and nothing was working this went on for god maybe a year and a half eventually i was getting botox shot into my neck which was fun because i was signing a a death release basically you know they were like the neurologist is like if i miss you know by a a, a fraction uh -huh. <laughs> you might die immediately it would be very That's bad not good i'm literally i'm signing a death waiver every time I was so scared oh my god but i wanted relief you know and it never helped i did that about three or four times and Actually, it, it like damaged part of my muscle in my neck, so that was fun. And then I ended up, um, by some chance, uh, taking uh, a two milligram tablet of Valium, and mm. it was amazing. It re it relax it relaxed everything, and but I think even more so, it was it was really helpful for my health anxiety because I I had a little bit of health anxiety. I don't think I realized it so much at the time. Because I feel like when you have certain mental illnesses or, or disorders or whatever. You know, whatever your hangups are, you're usually kind of blind to them in your at least yeah. in your teens, or your early 20s. You know, I think by 30 or 40, you start to kind of go, wait a minute, maybe that's a thing. But like, you know, despite all the little health scares and weird things I could look back on in my youth, I, I didn't put it together. But I was really anxious because I was thinking, man, I'm going to need you know, surgery or what, what's going to come of this? You know, I was really scared. And anyway, I would start to have these pain catastrophizations where I would start to... um you know, I, I often explain it like having a mini panic attack in your neck or whatever body part, you know, could, I think this happens for a lot of benzo people too. Um, you know, so I would have a little bit of pain and I would just, my anxiety would go through the roof, yeah. you know, yeah. it would really had become a trigger for me. And then I would just be in agonizing pain and no, nothing would work pain, nothing, no pain meds. But also I knew pain meds wasn't a long-term solution and it wasn't a good solution anyway. You know, you can't take pain, pain meds at work and you can't it's live same on a problem. Yeah. So that, so that was going to work. So the Valium was just like, wow, this is amazing. Took my anxiety away. I felt relaxed. I could sleep. I wasn't freaking out about the future. Eventually my neck got better over the next few months or so. And three months in, I just decided to stop taking the Benzo or the Valium and then had the worst of panic attack of my life three days later. Thought I was dying. I mean, felt like my, I mean, it's to this day it was the weirdest thing. My skin literally became on fire and pins and needles mm, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it felt it felt like I was being stabbed by a million needles from every direction, and I just ran around the yard like a crazy person. Hold, I mean, I think I was holding my head like it was going to fall off. You know, it's almost like a cartoon. Anyway, that we're off. See the doctor. He says, of course, you know, that's your pre-existing condition. You should stay on the Valium. You know, you're getting relaxed. He, he actually convinced me. You know, he said you're getting relief and you really can use it. And you know, it's not harmful and you can get off at any time and this and that. 
And being a younger guy, I just kept taking it, and the years started to roll by, and two big yeah. milligrams turned to four, to eight, to ten, to fast forward now to eight, nine years later, I'm at uh, forty milligrams. Yeah, and I feel worse than I did before I took I took them. Took the benzo, I, I, worse than I did at two milligrams for sure. I think everybody or most people has like a have like a honeymoon period with benzos for like sure. there's like a two or four month or some little period that you go, this is a great drug, and then you know it bites. Sometimes you. it even lasts a few years for some people. They don't even notice yeah. the dependence oh, yeah. issues for a while. Yeah, it's, each person is different. You're right. I've had clients that I've even had clients that said, "Look, for twenty years it was great." Yeah, and all and of then, a sudden, boom! Yeah, it stopped and it was hell. Tolerance kicks in, and suddenly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, my I was yeah I was getting dependent and tolerant for a long time. Looking back, because I just kept walking it up the dose higher and higher and higher. Eventually, had like a, a massive panic attack one night at forty milligrams, and I also had had cracked my tailbone, so I was on a, a decent dose of Vicodin. I think the two was probably a really bad combination. Yeah. Looking back, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And anyway, ended up in the hospital by ambulance thinking I was having a heart attack. My heart was so sped up and the doctors did tests and they came back and said, look, you've got enough benzo to tranquilize a small elephant, man. And are you a yeah. drug addict? And I said, no, God, I don't even I don't even I don't even feel good on it, let alone get high. I don't even feel normal on it. Right. Like it's how much it doesn't work for me. You know, Yeah. came home scared and and just sort of broken and, and just in a weird place in my life at that moment. And you know, everything was catching up to me, I think. And I just thought, I got to get off this. Like, I, I just had this instinct, like, I need to turn my life around in a 180, right. just whip a U-turn. And I came off 20 milligrams overnight and Ouch. dropped 20 milligrams. Yeah. And again, three, four days later, yeah. welcome to hell. And that was it. Oh, I mean, yeah. it was hell for the next four years after that point, you know, and uh, laid in bed for six months. Sorry, I was trying to give you a quick synopsis. My no, this is perfect, always... man. This is what I'm asking for. <laughs> stories. Yeah. I, I'm not good at short stories. <laughs> this is a long form <laughs> podcast like yours is, man. Don't worry about uh, it. I'm so terrible it's at all short good. stories. <laughs> I just realized that. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, but yeah, I I laid in bed and I was just, just you know, not sleeping and like four or five panic attacks a day. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how many mm. panic attacks you could have in one day. Yeah. And then... Um, you know, just every symptom in the book, you know, feeling awful. And the doctors says here, you know, sometimes uh, Valium stops working. So here, try Xanax and try uh, Syracuse. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I come home and now I'm getting really depressed because I'm like, I just want off all this. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to be on Seroquel and Xanax and what the hell's next, you know? And, but I, I felt like, well, I could, I need to taper off this, this benzo. I was desperate. So I switched over to Xanax the next morning, uh, just did a 100% switch over and, Oh man, I had like some kind of paradoxical reaction, mm -hmm. you know, and it gave me a massive panic attack immediately. Sped up my heart. I felt disoriented. I, I did not do well, well with the it. potency of Xanax, man. That just probably threw you over. That thing's yeah. I think yeah. it was. I think that's what it was. I think it was like downing a half a bottle of a Jack or something uh, yep. immediately. I mean, I just felt I'd hate. I, I don't. And to this day, I don't like that feeling of losing control. I don't on, either. Like alcohol or drugs yeah. or anything like that. I don't like like too, even like I had two teeth pulled and I wouldn't take the pain pills you know because mm -hmm. i didn't want to sit there and feel like i don't like this feeling i just want to feel normal yeah and same uh, way. yeah so anyway I, I i jumped back on the volume months go by i'm laying in bed i'm i'm becoming i'm melting you know i'm getting mm -hmm. I'm fat as hell I'm, I'm laying in bed and uh just suicidally depressed agoraphobic i couldn't drive my car you know, was about to just drop out of college at that point, even though I it was over the summer. So I had uh, my master's course starting, you know, in fall. And it was like, 
I was just having this like crisis of faith, like a midlife crisis. I was just like, what is happening to me, man? I'm gonna have to drop out of this. I had an art career that was going really well. I'd worked yeah. several years at, and that suddenly was disappearing. You mm -hmm. know, it was just, uh, I couldn't create. There was no, there was no more art career. Bye-bye. So that scared the hell out of me. Then you feel like you start to lose your identity, you know, because that's what you were and that's what you did. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I'm, I'm not an artist anymore. And I'm about to be not a future psychologist anymore either. Um, this is not good, you know. Did you have to drop out for a while or <clears throat> what did you do with your schooling? So no, it was it was coming up in the okay. months coming up, and I had found the Ashton manual. And so it, things started to turn a little bit where I wasn't um it, the the I was still in acute, but it wasn't like, you know, as as hell as it was a few months prior. Right, it was right. I still couldn't leave the house. I mean, I couldn't do anything. But it was a little bit more like I could at least read and do some things for short periods of time. And I was reading. I was I, I often joke because, I you know, I've, my clients deal with 85 uh, percent of them. No, probably 99 percent of them deal with rumination. But 85 oh, percent yeah. of them, it's like the biggest symptom, maybe. And I, I joke with them. I relate to them so much because I say, like, I ruminated better than anyone. Like I got a black belt. I don't know, man. I'll take you on. I think between the two of us, we're in good black shape. Here. God, I was a man, great I, ruminator, man. <laughs> yeah, and I was intelligent enough that you know you I could ruminate on. I was it was like juggling. You know, I could yeah. juggle ten things at a time. I would be ruminating about ten different things at a time. I would have, you know, I had two monitors and a dozen screens open, and I'm reading about. I mean, it was this OCD and rumination, bad yeah. combination, you know. And uh, yeah, I so saw I, I was I was going down, but. But the good news on that, I guess, I kind of made the OCD work for me because I was looking for answers. And so I found the Ashton Manual. I started getting a little bit of hope. And then I started my my course online and I was thinking, maybe I'll just see how it goes. And mm -hmm. I, I think you get like a month to drop it with a refund or something like that. Okay. And so I was like, I'll just, I'll go a couple of weeks. Let's see. Let's just see. You know, and I mean, leading up to that, I wasn't sleeping. I was really freaking out. I mean, I, I'm someone that puts a, that often has put a lot of pressure on himself with things that are important yeah. to me, you know? And so it was just like, I, I was making it like this all or nothing thing. And looking back, I mean, I could have just postponed it. I could have returned to it, you know, but mm -hmm. it was like, no, I have to do this or my life is over. And, uh, but I, I started taking this first course was an anxiety course. And right off the bat, I'm studying agoraphobia and I'm like, oh, that's what I have, you know, and panic disorder. And I'm like, okay, what do you do about this? Well, cool. This is finally a master's level course. We're not just studying it. Now we're actually learning about what do you do about that? And so I'm starting to get some clues. So that, so I become very obsessive about the, the, the treatments, the theories. I mean, I was really plugged into all of that stuff, which was great. Now looking back, it was like kind of good for my education, I suppose, you know, but um, I mean, it was hard. I, it was really hard. I had to read things. You know, I felt like I had brain damage. I mean, I would I would read things yeah, over and perfect. over and over again and mm -hmm. forget them and reread them. But but anyway, I put together a program for recovery. It started around then because everything I was reading, finally something clicked and it said, you know, I was reading about depression, agoraphobia, anxiety disorders, PTSD, and everything kept there. You start to see these overarching themes, you know, where it's like mm -hmm. laying in bed, avoiding, isolating, and just falling into yourself. You just exactly. this internal crumbling that happens. And it's not even benzo related. I mean, it's just mental illness. And I thought, oh my God, this is what's happening to me, you know, with this accelerant uh, as a benzo. But um, so then I just started reverse engineering it essentially, you know, and uh, using those techniques. And it took months. I mean, just the fatigue alone. Uh, I mean, the fatigue was the first thing I had to battle because I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I'd go mm -hmm. 
to the kitchen and back. And I was like, Oh, I got to lay down now. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just ridiculous, man. And, um, so I, I had these pink dumbbells and I would curl them. I'm not even mm -hmm. kidding. I wish I have a picture of them, man. They were pink little girl dumbbells and I would curl. They were like maybe two and a half, three pounds. Makes sense. Yeah. Five or 10 times I'd put them down, you know, five or 10 times, put them down. And I did that and did that and did it. And then I started working on my exposure to the mailbox. I would literally walk to the mailbox, have a panic attack, run back, started doing that. And, you know, it became, it was like, you start to hear that Rocky montage start and it's just like very faint in the distance, you know, and it's so pathetic. It's the most pathetic Rocky montage of all times, you know, be lifting like pink dumbbells and walking to the mailbox and back, you know, I think we got a short film. I see it already, man. Oh man. I actually incorporated this into Lake of Fire, the feature, the oh, did feature you? we shot. Yeah. Yeah. The, the protagonist when she, you know, part of her comeback is you see her facing the, the mailbox, you know? Yeah. And there's this cool scene that we did where she comes out and she's got her agoraphobia and she tries to be brave and she walks out about 15 feet and takes a deep breath and she just locks up. And then it's like, it's almost like I, I wanted to do kind of an impression, like a war film where it's like, you know, instead of like a machine gun going off, it's like a water sprinkler going. Tsh, 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 right. tsh, tsh, tsh. And then I put the mic right on it and it's so loud. It's like, tsh, 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 tsh. <laughs> and then a car drives by and a guy's mowing his lawn and she's just like, ah. you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. And Stimulation. Then runs. Yeah. Yeah. Just overkill <laughs> runs back into the house. Yeah. But yeah, that was all taken my, my life. And so like uh, put together the program for recovery, started working on my exposure, the fatigue, the diet. I mean, all of these things. When, when did you start a, working with others or, or I don't know if your book came first or you started working with other people or film? I mean, how did you kind of move into the advocacy side of things? So it, I came back, took a break, healed, made a full uh -huh. heal, recovery, started working on my doctoral degree, was traveling to do that. And then I came back and I kind of got in a good space. Finally, I was like a really pretty good space, you know, and I was like, okay, got online, seeing where everyone was, what was going on. And things had just exponentially multiplied, you know, with benzos and the yeah. stories and everything. But I was seeing all, only horror stories at that time. You know, this is going back some years now. And it was just all I saw was people crying and, and wanting to give up and wanting to die. Yeah. And I said, nobody, literally nobody is telling them, the, you know, uh, that they're going to survive this and that you can heal. There's hope. Exactly. There's hope. Yeah. And for me, I know the one question, at least there was a dozen, but one in particular, every day, almost every damn hour that circled around my mind was, will I ever be normal again? You know, That's some, the question we always right? have and always get. I know. Some version of that. Will I ever be normal again? Will yeah. I ever, will I fully heal? Do Will I make it out of this? You know, some mm -hmm. version of, will I ever be normal? And, um, so I came back, I put out a video and I just said, you know, uh, yes, there's life after benzos. Yep. That's where life after benzos kind of began. And then it just blew up and people were like, thank you. You, you really helped me. I was, you know, I, I was getting emails, people saying I was going to kill myself and you, you gave me hope, you know, I got a few of those and I was like, wow. Yeah. You and me both. I, I get so, I get so many listed in there, just things that, you know, it saved my life, that kind of stuff. And it's like, how do you not keep doing this? that we're doing when you get yeah. feedback like that. Right. I mean, it just blows your mind. Yeah. The people that are near end, near desperation and just, you know, yeah. you, you it, said you fully healed. So did you, do you still have any symptoms at all carrying over? Or are you, do you consider nah. yourself 100%? Yeah. I think that's I'm 100%. sweet. Nice man. Um, but I had stuff before benzos, you know what I mean? Yeah. If the old anything, stuff isn't, isn't gone. Yeah. I hear you. And I mean, if anything, I think like, I sometimes think like the, uh, the limbic system, 
maybe it's left a little bit more sensitive at times, you know, your, your ability to handle stress and things Absolutely. like that. And I think it's just different levels. I think, I think no matter what, it's going to be a little more sensitive to some degree. I know mine yeah. still is, you know, I'm eight years out and still I'm pretty sensitive, but I also, um, the drugs we were figuring out too kind of have a factor too, because like some of the drugs have a higher propensity to protracted. Um, they seem to linger a little bit longer because of the binding, binding on the GABA receptors. So we're kind of mm -hmm. seeing some of that. Um, and so there's variances, but also I think we think there's genetic factors, you know, that it's like, there's so many different right. factors. The truth is we don't know why some people, you know, 10 years out still have symptoms and some people yeah. six months are fully healed. You know, yeah. we just don't know. And, but you brought up a good point because so many of us are, you and I, and other people in our, in our business are trying to give hope. And I face that all the time. And I'm curious about you, um, you know, for me, especially when I still have symptoms and I had a recent bout and we had this conversation on your show just recently, but how do you, you know, for me, it's always that delicate balance of being honest about where I'm at and giving hope to say, because people look to us, they always look to us to say, Hey, you're going to be me. I'm going to do what you, it's like, no, you're not yours. Your path is entirely different. You know, right. also I screwed up along the way and I did some things wrong. I took a fluoroquinolone. I mean, all these things happened mm -hmm. that probably added to neuropathy and added to other stuff. It wasn't just the benzos. Um, right. But I, I feel like we do walk that balance, you know, that in what we do of always keeping the hope alive, but also being honest. Oh yeah. And that's why sometimes like, I, it's weird because I'll get two diversions of reactions to my story. They'll go, it took you two years to taper and two to yeah. four years to heal. Oh my God. Exactly. It's horrendous. And then I get this other group that says, wow, you're so lucky you made a full recovery. And, and they almost treated mm. like it was a walk in the park for me. And I was like, okay. no, not from what <laughs> you just told relative. me. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's all relative. I didn't feel like it was a walk in the park, but yeah, so your symptoms, but, are, I think we'd agree were more serious than some of mine were acute. So that I didn't get the burning skin. And I, I've talked to so many that who have, but that's got to be one of the hardest ones because that is just, it doesn't stop. You know, it's just. Oh, yeah. And I always tell people, whatever you take a drug for, the, get ready for the opposite effect times 10 yeah. when you come off it. Like pain pills, right? Exactly. So if you took it for real pain, when you come off pain pills, you're going to have a hell of a lot more pain, you know? And so I took it for a muscle relaxer so and an anti-anxiety medication. So guess what came back, you know? I, and I came off the, uh, the Vicodin at the same time. So I was riddled with pain. I was spasming up, locking up everywhere, and uh, my anxiety was through the roof, man. It was just, it was the worst, you know. But, um, but yeah. Um, to finish your question, though, I mm -hmm. I came back some years back and put out videos, and that started launching. And then probably about five years ago, you know, the, the interesting thing about everything I'm doing has been audience led. Right. I mean, it's exactly. I'm not that smart. I wish I could be. I'm not, and either. I have a bachelor's yeah. in in uh business. I'm a terrible businessman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a bachelor's, and I'm also a terrible businessman. <laughs> I just suck at it. I mean, I get it in theory. I had great scores, and you know, but application. I think, I think you and I got a team together. We got to hire somebody on to handle the business because it's because yeah. like, I'm the same way. I'm I I I, I you know I, I still take a loss. At, you know, for now, what six years I've been doing this or whatever. And I don't make any money. I mean, I'll make nothing in the end, you know, for book sales and everything else. It's just not, and I'm trying to, I think you are actually doing something. We'll talk about that. You and I are both now starting to try to work into more of a monetization model that we mm -hmm. can, so we can make a living doing it. Um, but yeah, I've not, I've not been good at that before. I mean, this is new for me. It's like, it's always been, I get a little bit of money through right. donations to help cover some of the expenses, but I'm always right. at a loss, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I was for years doing it too. Yeah. Um, 
but but everything was audience led so people kept saying put out more videos and first yeah. i had i didn't put my face in any videos and then they said you we want to see you and then so i finally put my face in a video but i kind of almost wore a disguise you know because i was shy and i i had okay. these stupid glasses on and i i was trying to look more I don't like Carl Jung or something. I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I I was trying to kind of because I had a I was kind of getting back into my art career and it was it was really doing very well. And I was like, man, I don't want people I know to see this and my family and my friends and then I go to work. <clears throat> and I thought if if I was going to be a therapist, I don't want people to see how bad I was and think I'm not going to go talk to a guy, a therapist going to help me who's was worse off than me. You know what I mean? So you all it's all of these insecurities that just in your head. But now I look at it so different. Yeah. I mean, I I admire therapists that would that can say, hey, I went through real things. In fact, I don't even want to talk to a therapist that that never had mental illness. You know, exactly. Like, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to talk to the guy that beat it. That guy yeah. is he's proof that something worked. I want to. Well, I was thinking of like, so, like my nephew the same way. He's a vet. And it's like, you know, he doesn't want to go to a counselor who's not a vet who hasn't seen war, who doesn't know what it's like. And it's like, you know, I get that. And I feel yeah. the same thing about Benzo. It's like, there are people who get this. Right. Nobody really understands what we went through unless you go through it. It's, it's just, it's a fact, you know, they can help you, but it's different than somebody who really gets right. what we've been through. Right. You know, I get that. I get that. That's crazy. So you got, so you got, so you, you kind of start all that stuff. You got the videos going and you start yes. up a channel and, and you have to, when did the books come in? Were they, so that was pretty quick. So I put out a bunch okay. of videos and I put my face in a video and then someone said, he's not anything like I thought. And then someone said, he sounds like a dork and he looks like a Viking or something. It was some kind of goofy comment like that or a yeah. biker or something. So then I was like, oh, God, maybe I shouldn't have put myself in the video. Uh, and so around 2018, I started uh, I, I put out a, a book. I believe it was 2018. I, right? okay. I know it came out on my birthday, actually, which was very cool. And I was like going on vacation. It was just such a sweet thing you know to finally have come yeah. out of all of that and be in a different place in my life and then this book came out and i said oh wow you know it came out of my birthday and uh so i just thought you know you know what the book was the book was me saying here i did something now i'm gonna go sail off into the sunset and do something else because right. i didn't want to stay here and keep working in this i didn't i was like the reluctant hero or something i did not want to do this because Actually, you're preaching to the choir i'm the same way it's like I, I didn't know i'd be doing this or would stay doing it but i thought i'd move on Get out of here. Go. <laughs> oh, my cat. Don't, don't worry. He's not talking to me. He's talking to this cat. <laughs> like, oh, every time I do a podcast, he busts in here. What like, kind of cat you have? Like the police. He's a, a Russian gray, I think they call him. Oh, really? Cool. A blue Russian. I don't know. He's gray. Yeah. Um, But anyway, yeah, I put the book out and I was just going to say here, here's what I, you know, here's my story. Here's some techniques that I thought would that helped me that could help you. And I was just going to then leave. And then the book started to do pretty well. Mm -hmm. And 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 then people started saying, well, you should do coaching. Have you ever thought of coaching? And can I just call you? Can I just call you? And so yeah. for like a, a, a few years, I didn't even uh, charge for that. You know, I mean, And actually, that's, I, what, that's where I've been the last few years, too. It's like I've, yeah. I've done coaching by proxy, you know, kind of. It's like I just start texting people and people wanted to talk. And then people would email me nonstop. And I would just keep responding. And it turned right. into coaching sessions over time. And I've been doing that for a while. And, I... and eventually it got to the point, though, where I was spending so much time. Um, it, it was like a job. And it then is, I was yeah. like, I, I got bills, you know. And it was actually hurting my art career because then I wasn't spending as much time doing the art. And uh, and so I, I was like, I got to charge. So I, I charged like really little, mm -hmm. like $50, which is like yeah laughable compared to every and i had a master's I, and i was almost i was well into my doctoral and i was still like 50 i didn't want to exploit anyone i don't mm -hmm. want to take advantage of anyone you know especially in this thing 
but then people just it just kept growing it just kept growing the channel kept growing and then i was like i'll put a book out okay i'll just do some coaching okay i'll just put these videos out okay now i'll make a movie and then i'll walk and finally somewhere like making the movie i think i just said i think this is my life now yeah you know i think this is what i'm just going to be doing i don't know how long but like this is I, I knew i had a lot more work here to do so now you know things have just have have grown and it's it's a job now it's a it's a, a calling and a job yeah same here i mean for the last like three years now i've done nothing else but this you know and it's like in, in different areas you know with the the work group that i work with too and all different kinds of stuff yeah it takes up your entire you know it's seven days a week now for me all this mm. stuff is yeah so. it is yeah it's yeah. it easily heats up your yeah i launched my yeah. my new site what three weeks ago and it was like just that alone by locking down and having to do that and then coming back i realized how far i am behind on every other project out there <laughs> Because I just needed so, three weeks to launch. So, so are you going to be doing coaching now? Are you? Are you going to? Um, so yeah, yeah. I actually saw yours, and I thought we might want to talk and and kind of converse about that. Because you're setting up. Um, what was it? Hang on, don't tell me. I typed notes, man. Because I looked into this stuff. <laughs> you. But you're, you're starting you. up. What, what are you calling yours again? It's um the Benzo Recovery School. Thanks you, Benzo Recovery School. I thought that was a cool name, man. Yeah, I, simple, I noticed right? you're setting something up. I think I, I'm, I've been setting mine up. Mine's been in the works for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I finally got it all the back end built. And so I just launched the new site. But the the membership side of it is still not launched yet. I just got right. the new site launched. So now I'm going to start adding the features onto the people can log in and create memberships on my site now. Right. But right. they can't. Um, but there's really no functionality behind the scenes right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm just trying to do uh, mostly support groups. I'm going to do online chats. We're going to have some different, you know, groups, subgroups within there, um, places for people to hang out. And I will do some coaching probably through it. And I also want to bring in some other coaches. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people that are setting up sites. I think Benzo Warrior is looking to set up a membership site. You are. And actually, yeah. what I'd love to do is work with all the other groups like yours. And right. and we we, we 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 share. You know, it's like I'll be on your site. Sometimes you come on mine. I mean, I am oh, yeah. 100% behind the more we have out there of good quality people, the better. Because, yeah. you know, because yeah, everybody wants something different. And right. it's nice for them to have a variety. I am always about support. And I know Jennifer Lee's got a pretty decent online site. It works mm-hmm. great for a lot of people. Um, you know, Baylissa is doing a lot of stuff now with hers, but she's not taking on a lot of new people because she's so overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's great. So I'm kind of curious about what yours. I know you already do the coaching. So what are you looking on the on the Benzo Recovery School? What's that going to look like and how's that going to be going to differ? So I feel like it's been... 10 years coming you know that i've been exactly yeah <laughs> creating this program you know the from like mm-hmm. the the very skeleton basics that got me out of you know where i was with benzos to um just every coaching session every year that rolled by every additional course you know if it was like act or cbt dbt yeah. mindfulness you know diet nutrition i mean i've just kept stacking on uh, knowledge and growing and growing and growing and then refining things and implying mm-hmm. things and even just the last five years of coaching uh has been such a enlightening experience and learning and then it's almost like i'm doing the research because i'm seeing what works and how to to sort of um you know finesse these things in the right way to fit so it's like yeah. cbt can be effective but you got to know how to apply it to someone in exactly. terms of which yeah. Otherwise, it's probably not going to be that effective, you know. Right. So it was like learning how to make those things work within these very unique clients and situations. And so, yeah. So my my Benzo Recovery School is going to be, um, 
you know, I have uh, God. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if you want me to pitch like what my program is. What uh, I think, whatever essential... you're willing to share. I don't know. I don't know if you want to share some of it, but if you're willing to, yeah, yeah. So I have what I what I. Uh, I have what I call 14 dimensions of recovery, like 14 right. areas that I think everybody should they engage 10? in daily. Are they now 14? They were, they were 10 they for were a 10, long time. Yeah, I remember the 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were 10 for a long time and they just kept growing. And, okay. Yeah. You know, and um, so now I have, they're 14 now. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Five more years, it'll be 20. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they're 14. I could say, you know, really confidently say, Hey, we should try to access these things daily. And, yeah. and a lot of people, they want something to do. Right. They want something to do. They, yeah. they, they don't want to just lay and pray, as I say, you know, and, well, pray, and, as you know, and the ruminations take over and you wind up in the looping thoughts. And yeah, you need you, something to focus on, something to work on. And, and, and there's so many components to this thing. You know, I, I often say like benzos is like a, a seven or ten headed beast, mm -hmm. you know, and the body is the chemical thing. But there's these other expressions and manifestations too, yeah. panic disorder, agoraphobia, all of this stuff. And some people got me wrong and think. Oh, Dave's saying that uh, these are pre-existing or just manifested conditions. I'm like, no, I look at them as all the, the head, same he heads of the same body. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, I think they're manifestations. They're manifestations when they become their own disorders. Sure, you right, know? right. But, I hear you. But but like, there's a difference between chemical agoraphobia and an agoraphobia disorder. You know, where you're mm -hmm. like you're healed from from the chemical part, but now you've built these pathways and you can't leave your house still six years later. Like that's maybe a different thing there, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, my program was like sort of, it was covering a lot of neuroplasticity, which is, I'm all about neuroplasticity. I'm all about yeah. growing your brain and, and maintaining it, you know? Yeah, we can, we can change things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, I mean, you can add uh, over 10,000 uh, new neurons to the limbic system daily through neuroplasticity. Yeah. Right. That's pretty damn incredible. Yeah. You know, it's pretty damn incredible. So we can, and, and most neuroplasticity goes right to the limbic system, which is, makes a mm -hmm. lot of sense and and uh it's good for us because that's where we damage the most i think in a lot of ways you know yeah uh, so uh yeah i like a lot of neuroplasticity cbt diet and all that stuff you know i just put together really what i started to call like a very well-rounded mental health hygiene okay. program or curriculum that sounds you know? good yeah i think it just and i tell i tell my my uh my people like i still do this daily most of these things, I right. still do the things, you know. Well, that's the trick is to keep doing that because that's what right. got you here. Plus, they're great life skills. Even if you are 100% healed, these are just good life skills, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Because I've actually like, had man. the opposite problem. We talked about that where I've kind of taken a step back a little bit, partly because I stopped doing some of the things that got me here. I got right. too busy. Parents died. All this kind of stuff hit me at once. Yeah. And I stopped taking care of myself. And now yeah. for about the last three months, I'm back putting those things back in. I'm going to the right. doctor repeatedly, getting checked up, taking care of my own health, you know, right. and I'm I'm back in mindfulness. I'm back on meditation, you know, and I'm looking the next yoga class that comes up at our at our rec center, I'm I'm heading down to it. And you know, those are the things that got me here. But yet it's easy to once you start feeling good, and I've seen this in several people, it's easy to let go of the things that got you there. And then you wind up with a, you know, with a flare up, you wind up with a wave, you wind up with some problems sometimes. So yeah. Yeah. So I tell people, you know, put together this program, 14 dimensions of recovery. I, I use this, these terms, lulling and pushing, like all my clients know about this lulling and pushing. You might, you may have even heard sometimes or in my group or I think my, we, you mentioned that on our last talk. Yeah. Yeah. Lulling and pushing. So I say you want to lull down the nervous system, mm -hmm. activate the good chemistry and push back against the bad 
and okay. you know, reduce the bad chemistry and, and, and push back against the symptoms rather. Um, and that, that just creates to me kind of like this yin and yang balance, you yeah. know what I mean? This perfect union of how to kind of sca like a scaffolding of, you know, moving forward. And so anyway, this, this Benzo uh, recovery school is going to have, um, a ton of videos and I've been working on this for at least a few years now and like okay. printouts, quizzes, like you can take a quiz and see where you, you know what I mean? Like where you place in your, um, mm -hmm. uh, in your symptoms or take another quiz and see where you're struggling. Maybe, you know, by, by what you're sharing, figure out, oh man, maybe I have, I'm scoring high in agoraphobia or this or that. But sometimes this is not very obvious to people and they don't even, you know, maybe they see some things, but then other things go under the radar. So I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to create something that sort of, just right out the bat, you can take a test and sort of get a sense, like a typology test, right? What kind of typology are you in, in sort of benzo talk? Um, so I, I, I just wanted, I mean, there's one thing I know about is it's learning. <laughs> I've been in school for, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, my whole life, way, don't like you? my yeah. whole life I've been in school, It's you know, and so uh, 10 years just on, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, college stuff. And, and so I know how to take tests and I know all of that. So I thought, oh, this is, this when, is when do you wrap up your PhD? Do you know? I'm at the end of my dissertation. That's the okay. only thing I'm dragging, out. and I'm I'm right at the. I've already got all my data. So uh, actually, this month I'm going to be uh, finalizing uh, all of that, and so hopefully within another semester or two I'll be. And that's the one in the I'll prison be, guards. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, cool. Good memory. Yeah, burnout, burnout amongst prison guards, which is kind of cool because it all comes back down to stress and limbic and all of oh that. Oh my god, yeah. Stuff. I can you know? see how that would cross over. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of found its way back in my life because I was almost bummed going, why did I do this? I, I wanted to do a study on uh, benzos, but mm -hmm. as I, I was fighting with the chairs and all of this because they kept saying it's a medical study. I said, oh. it's not a medical study. It's a qualitative study on, oh, God, yeah. on people coming off meds. And you go, no, it's too much like a medical study. And they just wouldn't let me do it. And I was like, damn it. I did my 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 master's thesis on it, but then they wouldn't let me do it. So it's so, it's so funny you say that because on the research teams, I'm, I mean, I've been like three or four research teams and they're all medically based. <laughs> and I'm always trying to throw in more of the psychology and the patient right. experience because that's what I bring to the table. But they're always wanting to tie it back to neurotoxicity and, you know, and all the right, different right. medical terms and trying to tie that back. And so it's an interesting way of the opposite kind of direction. Where, yeah, it really is. You know, yeah. I'm trying to be yep. the psychologist. Yeah, but you don't get it, man. This is overwhelming from a psychological standpoint. Point. we need to look at mm -hmm. that you know we can't just yeah. tie it all down to neurological damage you know there's other pieces that come into play here but yeah yeah and that's funny. man if you were going to be if you're if you're someone listening to this and you're thinking of like going into psychology and wondering how to make money or be important especially in this area of benzo crisis because i think we need soldiers all over the board oh my gosh we need yeah. coaches we need psychiatrists we need medical exactly. doctors neurologists more. And yeah. we need research people especially yep. research people those are the unsung oh heroes you know the research guys and gals like we need people that and you know you can make really good money doing that. You know, I mean, doing or medical zero. research yeah. <laughs> or zero. Yeah, I mean, all, if you all get the work into I the do right... has been totally, well, almost totally free. I got well, a little yeah, bit but there. you're working with like nonprofit organizations for your exactly. like fighting, you know, exactly. you're fighting yeah. a really good, good cause. Yeah. We're actually, we're but actually I... looking into trying to get some more funding for some of our future studies and get them better funded. But, but a lot of, yeah. along the way, that's most of it's been because most of the people I work with are actually medical people so they're working from a university or working from a hospital setting and they're getting paid by their institution to do research work 
And so they have their own salary and own money coming in. I'm one of those few guys who I don't have that background or that basis. Uh, So most of the work I'm doing, I'm just kind of, I'm doing it for free along the way. But, um, but it's, but it's taught me so much to learn from the research angle to be part of different research teams. It just, you know, I'm learning so much by doing that. I think that helps the coaching. I think that helps the understanding of what we're doing here. So. Yeah, I mean, to do it the way we want to do it right now, it's so early. But I, I believe exactly. it'll be coming down the pipeline, just like the opioid epidemic. You know, once that hit, then suddenly there was all this funding into research and all kinds right, of stuff. Right. You know? And it's starting so, to come. I mean, there's there's a lot of sources. We were just I was on a meeting earlier today about getting funding for our peer support training program that's coming out. And just, you know, it's like the state has funding and that's been funding it and getting it here. And we right. pulled off of ARPA funds back from, you know, those were the pandemic funds from the beginning of the pandemic. And we pulled some of those in from the state so right. we can find some funding. But that funds the development. It doesn't really fund us that much. You know, it's more it funds the actual work done. Yeah. But but there is funding out there and it's starting to come more. I mean, benzodiazepines are getting starting to get recognized as you know yeah um, yeah i i should clarify i think the the smart move and financially anyway would be get involved with a, a medical you know research team at least get your foot yeah. in the door cut your teeth you know and you can get paid really well and then use that to bridge into the benzo thing i think that's exactly. like if i if i was going to go into research with this passion that's I think I would I would probably well, and that's want what to we're do. doing now, which is what's exciting is like our research team just finished our third paper on the benzodiazepine survey of 2018, and the one that was led by um, Dr. Christy Huff and Jay McCubrey, PhD, and that one you know we've done two papers. The third one is right now in peer review and should be published pretty soon. But that team now started looking for its next tasks. And so we've been looking at different ideas, reviewing what we want to work on. And so we're kind of breaking up. We're actually taking two different avenues, so one database research study and another one on a on a survey that we're looking into. So it's kind of cool because the team wants to stay together and, but we're moving into other areas. Um, right. And, and there's other ones outside. Like I'm working on an ASAM research team right now with some of the people and, and we're looking at other areas to do some data work and some data research on medical records. Cause that's, that's the part that hasn't been done a lot is we're looking at, we want to look into medical records and actually look at, you know, symptoms and look at mortality and suicidality and stuff all tied with benzodiazepine prescribing because there's so much there i think and that's one of the ones that they valid they're val- they validate you know it's one thing to have a survey but that's all self-selected and you know there's always people are going to chew away you know bite away at it at the legitimacy of it but when you do medical records um right. doctors take that stuff seriously and so right, we're trying right. to get that kind of data produced. But yeah, there's so many areas to do research and so yeah. much needed, especially on, you know, predis- predispositions for um, protracted withdrawal, you know, and right. buying. It's like, what are the predispositions? Are there genetic, you know, markers? Are there other markers? Right, you know, right. what's going to, you know, what's going to dictate somebody having a five-year recovery versus a five-month recovery? Right. You know? Yeah. And you know what? I'll tell you, man. Now, in my line of work, uh I would say there's one thing that I've I really feel like I've reeled in radioed in on, and that is the the well, obviously there's predictors like yeah, you know I I ask someone you know how long you've been on meds, how high of a dose, you know, um, where did you always have anxiety like pre you know predetermined existing stuff conditions like that. yeah exactly if you get someone that says God I had panic attacks since I was seven and and i was on you know xanax when i was 17 or something like that you know you go sometimes that can be tough you know that might be a hard one yeah right or if they say i was in and out of hospitals all through my 20s and 30s or you know you look for certain things uh i was disabled i'm 
you know, I'm not very healthy or I've had a lot of uh, trauma or things going on in my life. So, you know, maybe there's stuff like that right. going on. I look for that. But then I also look for things like uh, rumination, like how obsessively ruminated, how how locked in are you on this? Because I truly believe the limbic system plays ping pong mm -hmm. with benzo withdrawal, you know, and that that whole back and forth. And, and we all do it where we get pulled into this uh, undertow of rumination. Yeah, this undertow of just. I call it like the the room of mirrors. Effect, oh yeah, you know, where you're term. just sitting there in the middle, and whatever your whatever your fear is, it's just reflected fifty mirrors around you. You know, like almost like that uh, Enter the Dragon scene with Bruce Lee. Oh and the, yeah, the, the, yeah remember <laughs> yeah. that scene where he's in there and there's mirrors all around uh -huh. him. You know, <clears throat> it, it's sort of like that where it's like taking me back to my kung fu days so, of watching all those movies on on TV for oh, years. Man. Yeah, that's the biggest Bruce Lee fan, <laughs> but. uh but yeah, but I mean, the idea that like, you know, whatever you're afraid of creates this pathway to this, this fight or flight response, and then they can feed each right. other. So I tell people, you know, my opinion of the forums have changed a lot more recently because I see the forums like Benzo Warriors, I think is doing a really good job. I think, yeah, they're pretty they're, solid over there. I work with them regularly. Yeah. yeah they're a good team. It, yeah. They try to, they try to, they've really got the idea to like reduce the trigger part of it yeah. and be a distraction and be helpful and you know and all these things but um but still people get on there and ruminate man they I just stay and it's I, I call it the bars they go to the bar and everybody pours each other a shot of fear <laughs> and they say things like you know hey uh you know you, have you heard of histamines and they go oh god what's that yeah. and they, they pour them a shot and they go here have this yeah. and then someone else goes but have you heard of akathisia and they go oh my god what is yeah. that oh, or, or, or i heard the other day shot, about this guy know? that was like 15 years off and it's like you know like yeah 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 great thanks. yeah <laughs> it's in it just you i i'm thoroughly convinced like the mission is so difficult and so challenging yeah. and it's so and and you know once you know once gaba is is annihilated like coming off of benzo's it really is like, you know, the access to the parasympathetic mm -hmm. to lull down the limbic system. So once that goes out the window, you've got this like almost like a, a wild animal is how I look at the limbic okay. system, this wild wolf of an animal, you know, and he's just super protective and, and super fearful and, and just ready to go off at anything. And now we don't have this ability anymore to sort of pull things back into any kind of balance. Right. So exactly. We're, we start, yeah. Suddenly we're starting to become very phobic. Right. We're getting we're getting we're getting phobic in days, weeks. We're suddenly phobic about water or this or that. You know, I've seen it all. It's like we point. talked before and, about the analogy of the gas pedal on the brake. You know, same kind of thing where it says we we just can't right. calm ourselves down. You know, we and right. it, and it's a physiological thing, not just you know psychological. It's a physiological. We don't we're not re, we're exactly. not receiving the calming message that we used to. And that's why I say know? it starts with yeah. It's it starts with the exactly. gap. It all starts with that because if you had more of that, then you could sort of do that. It yeah. could lean could lean on the GABA. Um and when you don't have it, but the, you know the thing is you can still be very anxious without being fearful. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Now that's a hard it's tough, but really I know what you're talking about. Thing, yeah. Right. Because yeah, you go, well what aren't they the same yeah. thing? And I say no. I deal with that every day. Yeah. I, I feel the anxiety coming on and I actually and, and it's like you say we we decide to accept, you know, acceptance is such a huge thing, but it's like, okay, well, that's anxiety. Something, sometimes just right. naming it. Oh, that's just anxiety. And you don't right. have to associate the fear to it. You don't have to. Right. You know? Right. So I, I tell people anxiety is <clears throat> going camping in some woods. That's a thousand acres and maybe one grizzly bear. And you say, I think, uh, you know, I gotta be careful. I might encounter a grizzly bear out here. I'm, I'm, I'm a little anxious about it. I'm, you know, 
I'm a little bit my I'm on my guard. I said fear is the feeling that you're going to one acre with a thousand grizzly bears <laughs> and that it's just a matter of time before you're going to get mauled, right? So and so your your limbic system it has to de de decipher the the in you know the the level of threat in, involved yeah. in both of those scenarios. So one is like okay, we're 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 alert and the other one is I'm bracing for death. You know what I mean? And and that one man, the bracing for death, that is the you know, um, the goal, I don't even know how you would say it, like the archetypal um, trigger for the limbic system, anything that is death, mm -hmm. right, or, or being injured or, you know, not being able to, to to survive or being maimed or something like that. And so I find that, you know, that that fear that we get locked into that oh, and man, we fear I everything. I, if I drink too much water, if I don't drink enough water, if I get too much sodium, if I don't have enough sodium, if I eat these yeah. foods, if I don't get enough sleep, if I... I... I think that's the number one thing I agree with. I mean, that was like, I did a whole chapter in my book called Managing the Fear. And my, like episode three, four, and five was a three-part series of my podcast, very beginning on managing the fear of pencil withdrawal, because that's that's really right. seemed to be the number one thing that we can do something about is how we respond, right. you know, to... Absolutely. It's like the symptoms... You know, I still don't think you could do anything directly to the symptoms, but you can ease one of the factors that helps, you know, make the symptoms right. come, which is the anxiety. If you can ease the fear, if you can ease the anxiety, you can lessen the symptoms. You can manage them better. Yes. You know? Right. And they, and you know, they hear me that it doesn't mean they're going to go down to a one out of a no, no. microscale of one yeah. to 10. They're going to be whatever the baseline yeah. is. But but even if you even if you bring it for yeah, if you bring it from a nine to a six or a five, that's huge. It's that is it's, huge. Yeah, it's huge. So, yeah, you're talking 30, 20 to 30 percent reductions and yeah. people yeah. going, whoa, you know. And sometimes I find a lot of people they're right at this turning point, you know, but it's like that limbic system still has a hook in them. So they start to turn the corner, that they have a trigger and they go, whoa, they go wheeling back again. And then they start to turn it and they they teeter and they Absolutely. teeter. Yeah. And if you can keep someone believing in their recovery long enough to keep, you know, you could keep that hypoarousal activity down and they can start to make new pathways. Exactly. So they can start to finally yeah. go further and further away from it. And it's almost like this this tether or string that's attached to them, it finally just pops. Yeah. And then they've they're farther out enough, and it doesn't mean they don't have setbacks and stressors and all kinds of things, but they're sort of out of that that gravity yeah. now. They're no longer sitting back, going, "I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go right back to acute, and everything's gonna fall apart." You know, so it's it's kind of like a, a a teetering back and forth in trauma response. I feel like so. I love seeing people finally make that's that. Not, yeah, that turn. exactly. I agree. You know, yeah, that's like um, you know, even being eight years out and still having symptoms. But I always say, but my life is still pretty damn good, you know, and it's because, number one, I don't even know my symptoms unless somebody asks about them, you know, like like somebody right. will say, well, you still have tinnitus. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. I mean, that's the attitude. It's like, yeah, yeah it's there, but I don't think about it. You know, you know I can see you sometimes I'm, I'm a little jolty, but it's like, yeah, but it's going to pass. Mm -hmm. My um, Another good one is facial paresthesia. I still have that. I don't know if it'll ever go away. It probably will. But. But mm -hmm. the most thing is, it's like, I don't think about it. And then if somebody asks right. me, I realize, yeah, I still feel like there's a few spiders on my face, but I don't think about it. And it's that's that management. That's that way of, you know, okay, these are just parts of my life right now. I still don't believe right. they're permanent because I've seen progress right. even at eight years out on my symptoms. So I do right. believe they get better. But what's more important is I don't let them control my life. Yeah. Like the nerve stuff, like the, with the facial thing, um, I know for a fact like nerves can 
they nerves heal so slowly oh, man, and, I, and I remember did i had uh i had that nerve damage in my my hip and lower back after i was in a told you I was, yeah. I was murdered in a car right. accident and did some damage in my lower back and i had you know some tingles and sensations like you said the spiders the the feeling like mm -hmm. you walked into a web or something you know and that went on for 10 years and then it just stopped yeah. one day and it does and i, and I completely never thought it yeah. would at that point i just i just accepted that this is what i you know after like year eight you go this is never going away but it did somehow. yeah it's like um when i was on your show i was still having some of the dysphagia some of the swallowing difficulty tight throat that i was calling setback but you are right it's probably more of a flare-up it's just a wave that hit me and i got a feeling it was probably more long COVID than it was benzos but it was i went to doctor right, appointments right. anyway i'd say my swallowing is probably 20 percent as difficult as it was i mean i've healed 80 oh, cool. percent um oh, and i think the throat tightening is almost completely gone you know, so, you know, it's like awesome. these things came. I had some long COVID tied with it. I had stress. I had a lot of factors as we talked about, but that's gotten better. And that's the nice thing. And it's funny, you mentioned the formication as I just actually just before this, today's this morning, I went to a dermatologist and um, unfortunately being a ginger, a lot of spots frozen on me every time I go, you know, mm. and I think she hit like 20 mm -hmm. spots and a lot on my face. Well, that sets off my formication. So, you know, all of a sudden now I got right. spiders everywhere because she just froze all these spots. Mm. So it's like I'm in this thing right, right now right. where I have spiders covering my face. But guess what? Uh, but no, it's like I'm so used to it. So I got spiders yeah. on my face. It's not a big deal. I mean, I've had that before right. and it's going to get better. And this was just because I had stimulation, physical stimulation. On my face right. That triggered those nerve endings. That's all that happened. And I know that. Yeah. And that's a teachable moment, exactly. right? Because if, from my perspective, I go, okay, you know, this is how this could go from bad to right. worse. Right. Is you start to go, man, I'm starting to get obsessive about this. And you start to tell your wife, like, God, I feel it all the time. And it's get, and then the more attention you put on anything, like I tell someone, I say, just look at your left thumb and just focus on it and focus on, just keep the, do you feel mm -hmm. it? Can you feel the pulsing? Can you, and you can get to where you're like, wow, it's like it's like amplified yep. now, you know, yeah. so you can do this with anything. And that's I, I just did that for, you know, as I was saying that and I can suddenly feel my thumb like like, wow, that's weird. It's like almost tingling, oh, yeah. you know, but if you did this over and over and over again to your face and on just something that's that is legitly real, your nerves will start to become so sensitive I to know. it and you start to become obsessive about it and over and over and days roll by and weeks roll by and months roll by. And now you are so obsessive about it. And the fear, more importantly, not that the obsession is necessarily going to make anything happen neurologically, but the fear, the limbic system's response now, it's right. like something is dangerous right here. Something is bad right here. And it just becomes this constant growing, festering source of anxiety. I agree. You know, then you may have a panic attack one night over it. Then the hooks are really in. Exactly. You know, yeah. Not... You establish those. It's like, oh, God. Yeah, exactly. I know. I've seen that. And we are going to stop the conversation right there. Special thanks to David Powers for taking the time to visit with us. And don't forget to tune in to part two of our conversation. And before we close out, I do want to just take 25 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. Our next scheduled episode is episode 115, which is part two of this conversation. Thank you again for joining me today, and please... 
and let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.